Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast by Funds Calibre. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Brown and today we're speaking to Simon Moon, the Elite Rated Manager of the Unicorn UK Smaller Companies Fund. Simon, thank you very much for your time this morning. Oh, thank you. Um, now, UK companies, both large and the small ones that you invest in, fell a lot more than their developed market counterparts in the sell-off um, earlier this year and they bounced back slightly less. Um, while other developed markets are now back to the levels they were at the start of the year, the UK is still down some 20% or so. Why do you think this is? Uh, well, there are a couple of reasons for this, um, but Brexit, essentially. You know, there's, this, there's this uncertainty overhanging domestically focused companies, but basically just UK companies in general. Um, we've all seen how the market just absolutely punishes uncertainty across the world through March and April. Um, and you still have an ele- a large element of uncertainty with UK-focused companies, and that is that the, I suppose, spectre of a hard Brexit is still on the horizon. Um, that uncertainty has carried on overhanging them and has not allowed them to recover at the rate at which um, other developed markets have recovered across the world. Um, what I would say is there is a sort of second dynamic to this in that when you look at the sort of MSCI World Index, for example, um, that's basically should be read as MSCI US plus a few others because the US is such an important factor of those. Um, you know, when you remove the US from the MSCI world, so you get the MSCI world, world X US, it's actually down a few percent year on year. That's how important um, the US has been to driving, I suppose, the picture of the UK's underperformance. Uh, and within that as well, you have the tremendous um, share price returns of the fangs, you know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, over that period. And also momentum-driven trading as well with the likes of Robinhood traders. You know, these, these are guys stuck at home, can't bet on football, can't bet on well, American football or baseball. And so they're just picking stocks to punt. And, and you know, that, that has really driven momentum in the US as well. So you, you sort of, it is without a doubt Brexit, but it's, I, I think the picture is being made to even worse by by what's happening in the states. And so, perhaps going on to your portfolio, um, you obviously engage a lot with your companies, with them being uh, a bit smaller. Um, what are they saying about how they've coped with lockdown? Um, are they seeing any of their competitors go under? Um, and are they worried about a lengthy recession, this sort of double dip that we're talking about, um, or has demand started to pick up already? Uh, yeah, it really is uh, a mixed bag. You've got companies that are coping really well throughout this, and you've got companies that are finding it harder. You know, we speak to our investee holdings on a very regular basis. I've spoken to several of them, you know, more than well, two or three times over this period, um, and you, they've made themselves very available. And one good thing about, um, I suppose, this new environment of working on Microsoft Teams and Zoom calls, etc., is that everyone is more readily available. Like I say, some I've spoken to three or more times. Um, what you saw, what, what we observed um, through March and April was what felt like blood on the floor. You know, it felt like companies were all were, were all seeing a very uncertain outlook, but some of them were updating with you know revenues off 80, 90 percent, um, you know, un- absolutely unable, refusing to and un- unable to provide forward-looking guidance in their statements. Um, and you can't really blame them for that. The world was changing. Uh, what you saw subsequently in, in May and June, uh, the updates from these companies was almost like a collective sigh of relief. And what we've seen is 
the gradient of recovery has been faster and steeper than we would have expected. I think over that period, you've still got this element of uncertainty, but one of the beauties of investing in small companies is they're able to react very quickly. They are nimble. And, you know, hats off to the government. What, what they have done, the support they've given as well, has stopped a number of people being made redundant uh, and has allowed businesses as well, other actions have allowed businesses to, to gain access to, to funding, which in most cases they haven't needed. Um, but the fact that it's been there has been a tremendous support for them planning for the future as well. So in May, in May and June, you did see this sort of collective sigh of relief, this, this sort of guidance of what was, what was, what was happening in May, maybe down 15, 20% year on year, which isn't good in anyone's book, but compared to how it was looking a couple of months earlier, it's, you know, it, it was comparatively fantastic. Um, uh, and, I, and I'd say as well, you know, within the portfolio, there's um, generally the companies, as it's something we screen on, the companies tend to have very strong balance sheets. Uh, you know, about half the portfolio has have net cash on the balance sheet. Of those that have net debt, um, it's around one times EBITDA. So, so you, you had sort of this dynamic of a really uncertain end market for most most companies across the market. Um, and you had to sort of take a view on that. You know, investing in small companies, they tend to operate in single verticals. It tends to be um, a little easier to get a handle on what, on what the drivers are for these businesses. But if you've got a business that's well financed, um, it really takes a load off. Because if you've got this uncertain outlook and the potential burden of unmanageable debt over that period as well, you know, that does increase the likelihood of companies going fast, which pleased to say within the portfolio. Um, the companies are very well financed, as mentioned. And we really put them into three baskets, you know, continuity, resilience, recovery. And in March and April, um, it was certainly uh, based on the sort of resilience and recovery baskets. Um, you know, that was certainly overweight there. But as we've come through that period, you've had far more companies sort of, um, I suppose, be promoted up into the resilience and into the continuity, you know, the likes of EMIS, which is a healthcare so, uh, software provider, uh, to the NHS. Um, we've got some computer games uh, developers in there as well. They obviously did quite well. Um, in the resilience side, you've got some Domino's Pizza, which, yeah, they had to they had to change their working practices somehow, but you know, a lot of people were ordering pizza from home. You know, so there, there was a great deal of change that's occurred over this period and will continue to, to be the case. Um, some companies have actually taken advantage of it. Some companies have fortunately been business as usual and others, others have had to adapt to it. Perhaps sort of looking forward at the next stage, some of the government support starting to run out now. There are sort of rumours and sort of conjecture about a second lockdown. We've seen sort of localised lockdowns. Are your companies worried about that at all? Um, you know, they're, they're, lots of them are geographically specific. So many of them are, are, you know, especially the industrials, they will be in one particular region within the UK. If you if you've got a if you've got a lockdown in you know, the West Midlands, you know, castings, for example, would, would probably struggle at that point but it's it's it, that's so specific i don't really think you can predict those what that would be better for for the for the, for the country as a whole you know those localized lockdowns would um i suppose smooth the recovery out of this rather than having you know, another complete national lockdown would um, be very detrimental to the country no, thank you um, and one of your sort of larger sector weights kind of alluded to it sort of the engineering type companies um, UK has had a great history of engineers at the Brunel, Stevenson's, for example. Um, but British engineering today is is not quite as 
sort of big as it was then, mostly because everyone's focusing on technology. I know you said you've got some of the gaming stocks where the British companies are doing very well, but can you tell us a little bit more about sort of the engineering sector and what you like so much about those companies? Yeah, there's there's echoes of those names that you mentioned. Yeah, it, it's we're a country with a, with a huge heritage in industrial engineering, birthplace of the industrial revolution, and that that does leave an indelible mark. And I think what you've seen over you know the last two hundred years since the birthplace of or plus since the birthplace of the industrial revolution is. Um, it's occurred, you know, and you've got um, the lasting legacy of it is is really high quality niche engineers throughout the UK that are just they're smaller, you know, they're, they're world leaders, but they're smaller. So in in the in the numerous smaller companies index, it is I think I think it's the largest sector. Um, you know, when you look at industrial goods and services as a whole, I think it's about seventeen percent. So it's a pretty big sector as it is. Industrial engineers are, are a smaller element of that. But you know, if you look at if you look at the whole, I'm, sure, I'm from my fairly sure it's the largest sector. Um, but you know, it's very well represented within the UK smaller companies fund because you know these are world leaders. We don't pat ourselves on the back enough for it in the UK. It's something we're, we're very bad at as well, patting ourselves on the back and giving credit where it's due. Um, but these these are world leaders, but they're in really niche areas. They've you know, got the likes of Goodwin, which is a company that just so few people have heard of. It's uh, right in the middle of Stoke. It must be one of the primary employers in Stoke. Um, and it's the, it's a world leader in steel casting. Yeah, this, this is a huge scale. This is this is sort of power lines for boats. This is, this is giant flow controls for nuclear power stations. This is um, sort of uh, large-scale parts for uh, controlling uh, sort of nuclear contaminated waste and that sort of thing. Uh, it's a hundred thousand tons. I think there's two other companies in the world that can that can forge and cast uh, steel of that size. And it's walking around um, the sites like I did about a year and a half ago. Was the last time I was up there. It is genuinely awe-inspiring and fairly mind-blowing how large these things are. But a complete uh, a complete world leader. Um, yeah, just a quick example. They they make. Um, the Rolls-Royce submarine engine, which is the most powerful gas turbine engine, I think, on at sea. And they are an absolute integral uh, manufacturer of a, of a serious component for that. But yeah, yeah seri- I, I, could, I could reel off a few others, but I, I, I'm, I'm cognizant of time. Um, but yeah, we are, we are uh, we're, we're really fortunate in this country to be very well represented by a number of a pretty small scale engineers that are just absolute, absolute uh, high quality companies. Oh, that's an amazing testimonial. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, sorry, um, I, I, do, I get very, very, I get very excited about it. Uh, shows no, it's, it's great to hear. It's great to hear. Um, and one of the other industries that we've sort of touched on a couple of times is computer gaming companies. Um, which ones do you own um, that our listeners may have heard of? And do you think they'll remain as popular now once everyone's back at work and at school? Yeah, that's a that's a really really good question. Uh, you know, you have had. The lockdown boon for these uh, these companies, uh, people staying at home and, and in many cases sort of twiddling their thumbs, unfortunately. Um, and uh, if they're doing it over a joypad with one of these companies' games, that's uh, all the better for us. Um, these, you, you mentioned it earlier, but we're, we're uh, have a, a pretty rich heritage in the UK as well of developing computer games. I mean, we've been sort of doing this hobbyist since the 1980s, and um, it, which has sort of grown into a pretty serious industry now. Uh, two we have are Frontier Developments and um, 
which uh, have the, I suppose, the theme, theme park management or, or managerial style of games. So they have uh, Planet Coaster, Planet Zoo, which are, yeah, as, as you can probably guess, games where you, you make theme parks and zoos and control the guest experience. And, and these are really in-depth. Um, you can control the amount uh, you charge people for popcorn what's in the ingredients and how much you promote and you know how long the queues are and where they are and where the loos are and that sort of thing. It's uh, Some people love it. Uh, it. It's probably not for me, but, um, but I, I, have, I have played on, on that, uh, that game and, and, the, and the Zoo one as well. They also do Jurassic World Evolution, which is a huge license for them. Uh, it was an incredibly popular release. Uh, again, it's, you, you're, you're managing a, a sort of dinosaur-based theme park called Jurassic World, uh, which goes wrong, uh, and repeatedly goes wrong, unfortunately, and you have to sort of control all these flashpoints of it. One of the other, uh, or the other um, computer uh, game developer we hold is called Codemasters, and they have the F1 franchise. They have uh, various other driving franchises as well, but their main one is Formula One. Um, what they've done uh, very successfully is, is really engage with esports over this period. So you, you've had this dearth of uh, sporting activity. So if you, if you can have a virtual version of it, uh, all the better. And it gets new eyeballs of people that you know, like F1, but never really viewed themselves as computer game players before. And, and have now suddenly got very interested because they saw a whole F1 series played out virtually on one of Codemasters' previous iterations, Codemasters F1 2019. Um, and the... the reintroduction of Formula One in, in a physical form uh, occurred, with, which coincided with F1 2020, which was released a couple of weeks ago, um, to tremendous critical acclaim, to be honest. It, it really is. I think it's um, on a site called Metacritic, uh, which is a collator of uh, game reviews. It's, I think, the most popular or highly rated game on Xbox, uh, very highly rated on PC and, and, and PlayStation. Um, and their, their sales have been, um, I'm, I'm sure, very good on that as well. Uh, I think the dynamic you were about, um, you know, whether people will continue after lockdown ends, uh, they will obviously have less time to play games, so they will, they will game less. But what you've had here is a permanent increase in your customer base. That people just wouldn't have touched computer games before just would have viewed it maybe as an activity they didn't think they had any interest in. You've opened the door to them, and you've not opened the door to them in a, in a sort of physical uh, format where they've gone in and, and they've bought a disc and then, and then you know, leave the shop and play it a few times and forget about it. They've all bought it digitally, so they've downloaded it, which A, is better margin, which is fantastic for the developers, but B, it's a route to the customer, a direct route to the customer, so you can see where they've engaged in your game, how much they've played it, uh, and you can keep them updated on improvements to the game, updates to the game, uh, new elements of it. Um, you know, you can, you can really bring them back to the game and keep them engaged in it, um, which is a customer experience that you know, go back five years in, in computer gaming, uh, or, or 10, five or 10 years, and you wouldn't have had that at all, or it would have just been a minuscule um, aspect of your customer base. And now you've got all these new customers. Yes, they will play less once, um, once lockdown ends, but they will be engageable with that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, uh, stepping back a little bit, what is sort of your outcome for the UK smaller companies? I know we talked about the Brexit overhang um, that's, that's going there. Do you see some resolution later this year or has perhaps COVID affected the outcomes of Brexit more so? Um, 
That's a, that's a very good question. I think um, I think the, the specter of a hard Brexit does overhang um, many UK companies, which is which is really unfortunate. I think um, if you, if you canvass all our investee companies, the vast majority would see that as the the, the least preferable outcome. Um, I suppose you know, with, with with the COVID environment, you do have the disruption caused by hard Brexit would probably come out in the wash a lot faster than it would, given that the the, the world is changing a lot faster um, if that unfortunately did happen. But I think everyone's absolutely hoping for a sensible resolution to it. And I imagine the companies that you've described being the sort of niche industry leaders um, and sort of very good at what they do, they can perform well regardless of sort of the Brexit outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are they're, they're very well insulated because of that. If, if, if you can't get their product anywhere else, you make sure you, you get it from them, right? Um, it's that is definitely the case, um, and you know you would expect all of them to uh, fare better. But I, I'm, I'm sure that for all of them, the most preferable outcome is that you know sensible agreements are made and there's as as friction free trade as possible with our European neighbours and international neighbours. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's hope so. Um, and so with those niche companies, why do you think so it's the UK, the smaller companies in the UK that the ones that can be able to, to outshine? Um, well, the historic record for a start. I mean, if you look back over the last 65 years, there are some very serious studies going into this and it just shows continued outperformance for UK smaller companies. I think on a, on a compounded basis, uh, the NSCI, the, the bottom 10% by market cap of the index, has returned about 17% on a compounded basis per annum versus 11% for the all share, you know, and, and over a 60 plus percent, I'm sorry, 60 plus year um, period. That's obviously translates to a pretty huge uh, total return outperformance. And, you know, why do they outperform? They're, they're small, they're nimble, they're able to react really quickly, like we've seen over the last few months, to, to very trying economic conditions. Uh, you know, they can right size quickly and they can scale up quickly as well. Um, you know, they're able to grow. Uh, it's, it's the law of small numbers if there is such a thing, and that it's far easier to double um, a, a workforce of 100 people or revenue of 100 million than it, than it is something far, far larger. Um, and, that, and that sort of uh, small and, and nimbleness uh, just can continue. You also have a lot more skin in the game as well. Management stakes within the businesses tend to be far higher further down the market cap scale. And that keeps everyone's eye on, well, I say the prize, but basically cash generation. Um, and cash generation is the lifeblood of businesses. So that, that keeps them ticking over well. I suppose for a fund manager like me at the smaller end of the market cap scale, it's a really drastically inefficient market as well. And MIFID too has exacerbated that. So the inefficiency of the market is um, you know, when you compare the number of analysts looking at FTSE 100 companies to those looking at small cap companies, you, know, you can't really compare them because it might, it might be one or two or maybe zero looking at a small company and it might be dozens looking at a large company. So you, know, you can't, in my opinion, take a, uh, take a different view on, on, I suppose, the meat and bones of a company out there, but at the smaller end of the scale, you, you absolutely can and the prices are often, um, like I say, very inefficient, wrong in the market and that gives you just a great opportunity to pick up some some hidden gems and uh, you know as we've seen again in the last few months small co's they're hit harder when the market sells off you know, volatility hates small companies and uncertainty does as well and they, it hits them really hard um, but they also recover faster as well and in every 
major market sell-off we've seen since I've been a fund manager, um, since I've even been you know, looking at the markets. They, they've sold off harder, but they, they've always recovered harder as well. So, you know, it does provide really good opportunity and fairly clear entry points to get into small companies as well. Anyway, Simon, that was um, really interesting. I'm sure we've used a lot of your time. So thank you very much for, for giving that to us today. No problem at all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and if you'd like to find out more on the Elite Rated Unicorn UK Small Companies Funds, please visit our website, fundcaliber.com. And if you'd like to hear more from Fund Calibre's other Elite Rated Managers, don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast for more content. Please note that these are unprecedented times and the market can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. 